If you have a Bible, uh, I want to invite you to find the book of Ezekiel. Okay? Find the book of Ezekiel. We don't talk out of that one too much, but it's in the Old Testament. That's the first part of your two parts of your Bible, right? And if you open up to the middle of your Bible, you'll probably find Psalms or Proverbs, and you go a little bit further, right between Lamentations and Daniel, you'll find Ezekiel. And then turn to chapter 22, and we're going to get to that a little bit later in the message. But this morning, um, we're continuing our global focus for the month of March. Now, our global focus refers to one of the three main focuses foci, however you say, plural focus, Uh, one of the three main focuses we have in our Kingdom Builders initiative. Kingdom Builders, then, is the platform that we have that supports ministry that is done outside of our church. A few months back, we did a sermon series called To and Through, if you remember that. Um, We can give to our church through your tithes and your offerings. The other way is to give through our church, um, which is what Kingdom Builders is all about. Every single penny that is given to Kingdom Builders goes outside of our church to move the kingdom of God forward in the areas of global, local ministry, and helping future generations. And so we're going to talk more about local ministries that we support and and, uh, future generations and all that kind of stuff another time. But this month of March is all about focusing on the global side of things, okay? And something hit me the other day as I was watching an episode of, sh- uh, of a show that I'm into right now, and I realized that we look at the population of our world in an interesting way, okay? So I was watching Star Wars, <laughs> duh, right? Everybody who knows me loves that I know a star. And, and, I, and something just hit me. On almost every planet in Star Wars, all the people are all called the same thing, across the entire planet, right? On the planet of Nemoidia, everyone on that planet is called a Nemoidian. Just how it is. On the planet Mandalore, everyone is called a Mandalorian. On the planet Kamino, everyone's called a Kaminoan. And on the planet Kashyyyk, everyone is called a... Somebody got it! Yeah, they're not Kashyyykans, they're Wookiees, but everyone's a Wookiee. <laughs> <laughs> They're Wookiees. Everybody, everybody on the entire planet is called the same thing. Here's my point. We don't see the population of our planet like that. We separate ourselves. We have all of these different names that segregate us. We have Americans, Mexicans, Colombians, Moroccans, Iranians, and so on, and so on, and so on. And I I wish we would be like uh, the president in the other great sci-fi movie, Independence Day. You guys ever seen that one, right? The aliens attack planet Earth, and um, if you can't tell, I like movies that are not realistic at all. I, I deal with so much reality on a day-to-day basis, and sometimes it's nice to escape. Um, but as the planet in this movie, Independence Day, is being attacked by aliens, the President of the United States says something fabulous. He steps up in front of all of these volunteers and all of these Uh, military guys, and he says, aircraft from here will join others from around the world, and you will be launching the largest aerial battle in the history of mankind. And then he pauses and kind of looks down and to the right as something, you know, obviously just kind of hit him, and he says, matter-of-factly, as he looks back up, he says, huh, 
mankind. That word should have new meaning for us today. We can't be consumed by our petty differences any longer. We will be united in our common interest. And as I heard that, I watched this while I was on sabbatical, actually, and I was like, whoa, that is good. Because we as mankind, we have a common interest. It's the kingdom of God. And it doesn't matter if you are American or Mexican or Colombian or Moroccan or Iranian or whatever, God wants every single person that is a part of mankind to know him. And that is why we are a globally focused church just as much as we are a locally focused church. Everyone needs to hear about Jesus. And if it's not happening, then it's our responsibility to make that happen. And the global church is an interesting thing. Uh, If you look into numbers and how it's spreading across the world, you have some areas like Nicaragua where 96% of the population is Christian in some denomination. The church is thriving there. And then you have other places where Jesus is not known nearly as much. There's actually a huge portion of the world that's not doing so well, and it's actually considered unreached, okay? And I want to quickly define this word unreached for you so that there's no confusion, okay? The word unreached is defined as a group that has no indigenous community of believing Christians with adequate numbers, which is less than 2% of the population. And, and they don't have resources, adequate resources, to evangelize this people group without outside assistance. Okay, so this doesn't mean that there are no Christians in the area, but it does mean that most of the people, like at least 98% of the people, have, uh, do not follow Jesus, and most of them have never heard at all. And most likely, they're not going to hear without outside help. I want to show you something. It's called the 1040 window. It's called the 1040 window because it contains the countries that fall between 10 and 40 degrees north latitude lines. All right? Nearly two-thirds of the world's population, 5.27 billion people, live in these countries within the 1040 window. And of that 5.27 billion, 3.25 billion are considered to be unreached. They don't have enough people around them to tell them about Jesus, that know him. Now, here's where we need to kind of take a step back. Because if we truly care about the kingdom of God and not the American kingdom, if we, are, if we care about mankind finding Jesus like he cares about them finding him, then this right here, this 1040 window stuff, should be a big deal. Almost half of the world's population is unreached. And of those, Specifically, one billion Buddhists are lost and live in darkness. That would absolutely break your heart if you saw it. And that's the area of the world that we've been focusing on here in this global month, the Buddhist world. Back in November, I actually had the opportunity to travel to Thailand, which is part of the Buddhist world. I went with a few other pastors from Minnesota to visit uh, a missionary he was here last week with you, Mark Doreen, and he, he started this initiative called Change the Map. 
And you heard about it if you were here last week, but, and we're going to talk more about it uh, a little bit later on. But I want to tell you a little of what I experienced while I was there, just to give you my perspective. I learned some things about Buddhism that were very interesting. I went in with some very preconceived ideas of what Buddhism is all about, about what this culture would be like, and I was blown away. Many of us have heard of karma, right? This is a foundational belief of Buddhists, and um, if you were here last week, I, I did hear Mark's message, and some of this is going to be a little repeat, but I need you to hear it from me because it's just a completely different perspective, okay? So karma, foundational belief of Buddhism, karma is the belief that our actions have good or bad consequences for this life or the next life. And along with karma, we have what's called merit, okay? Merit is, is the actual things that you do to make your karma better. And there are all sorts of ways to make merit in the Buddhist culture. Generosity, acts of kindness, meditation. You can actually transfer merit to other people even. Now because of all this, most people believe that Buddhism is this loving religion where everyone is at peace and they're happy. And, and definitely people are kind to each other over there because flat out they're afraid of if they're not kind, their karma is going to be bad and they don't know what's going to happen to them. But there's not a lot of peace or love. And love is actually frowned upon. It's crazy to think, right? But love is frowned upon because enlightenment, the idea of enlightenment, is the ultimate goal of Buddhism, okay? You want to become enlightened. And to become enlightened, you need to be detached from the world, from yourself, so that you can understand the true nature of things. It's really confusing. Actually, I was looking up like, what really is enlightenment? Because as I was over there, I still quite, didn't quite understand it. And it was funny as I was looking it up, and you can look it up, and it'll flat out say, um, no one really understands the concept of enlightenment, even Buddhism. They're so confused by it, but it's, it's something that you're trying to attain. It's hard. But the reality is if you love someone or something, you have attachment outside of yourself and you will not become enlightened. enlightened. So loving someone is bad. So, so why become enlightened? What's the point of this enlightenment? And here's a really uplifting topic. You guys are going to love this. You're going to walk away going, oh, <laughs> that was sarcasm. Check this out. Buddha. Buddha was the first person to ever become enlightened. He sought enlightenment because as a prince, he was a prince, and he had never seen suffering because he lived in the palace and everybody waited on him hand and foot. But one day he fled from the palace. Okay, think Jasmine from Aladdin. That's what this is. No joke. He flees from the palace, and he, as he's out in the real world, he sees suffering, and he sees pain, and he sees sadness. And he surmises at that point that the meaning of life is suffering, and we need a way out of this suffering. Okay, And this is where reincarnation comes in, because one of the chief beliefs in Buddhism is that um, you, you will come back again after you die. You know, you've heard the saying like, life sucks, then you die. In Buddhism, life sucks, then you die, then life sucks, then you die. I mean, literally, and I'm sorry for saying sucks, but that's the word, right? Um, that's what they believe. Like, life is suffering, life is terrible, you die, you come back as something else, life is suffering, life is terrible, you die, you come back as something else, and then guess what? 
Life is still horrible and life is bad. And so they're looking for this escape. That's what enlightenment is. The whole point of Buddhism is to cease to exist because I don't want to suffer anymore. How depressing. That's the whole goal of this religion. As you can imagine, that has huge ramifications on sharing the gospel, where we preach eternal life. And they're like, yuck, I don't want that. I'm trying to get out of this life. And you're preaching that we're going to live forever? It makes it tough. And so I saw these beliefs played out all over the place. And this is actually one thing that I kind of admire the Buddhist world for, because they have integrated their faith into every aspect of their life. Here in America, sometimes it's hard to tell if someone is a Christian or not, because it just doesn't change our life that much. It should, but most of the time it doesn't. But everywhere we went in Thailand, there were shrines, and there were spirit houses, and there were temples. They, there were shrines on street corners every few blocks, or every mile that took up, I mean, total corner lots. And, and they were packed all day long. Like, people would go there all day long and pray and meditate and give. And pretty much, here's the crazy thing to me. Every property has this house, um, this thing called a spirit house. Every house, every business, every school, every government facility, doll houses on a pole. It looks like giant birdhouses, basically. And it's a house where you can offer prayers and gifts to the spirit that owns that property. I mean, so it's just, it's totally ingrained in their life, in their culture, everything about it uh, just permeates their life. And, And the temples, man, the temples were massive and they were ornate. They were by far the richest properties in any of the cities. People give ridiculous amounts to these temples to gain merit. And and many times these temples were built on the highest hills in the town so you could see them from everywhere. There were always people praying, but there was a lot of tourism too. It was very interesting. Like, you know, obviously I took these pictures. Um, But there was people everywhere with their phones out. And I would pull my phone out quick and like snap a picture and put it back. It just felt so weird. They had no problem with it. It was just part of their life. They were there to gain merit. They were there to gain luck and power from the spirits that they were praying to, all these things. And there's so many other things I wish I could tell you about, the, the different festivals that they have, the, the mixing of Buddhism with other relig- religions like Hinduism, animism, ancestral worship. There was so much of that. And I, I experienced a ridiculous amount of things that just blew my mind. But one of the main things that I noticed while I was there was the complete lack of hope in almost everybody's life. We heard, we heard Thai Christians, people who used to be Buddhists who now are following Jesus, they would explain how they, they used to feel and they kept on using this word over and over, stuck. I just was stuck. And as a Buddhist, they felt like they had no hope of being enlightened or even being reincarnated as something better. And it's also random and unsure, and they just have no type of assurance for anything that they are doing. They don't get it. And it hit me so hard that they are just stuck. There's no hope. There is no hope for them 
if they keep living the same way they are now. They need, they need the gospel. They need Jesus. They need to hear about the one true hope. And here's the fun thing. It is being preached over there. It is. Uh, you've already heard stories from the missionary that was here last week of how God is moving Missionaries are there sharing the gospel. Churches are being planted. People are coming to know him. I went to a church service and I, uh, amazing picture of these people just worshiping God. And at the end of the service, two, two Thai men, actually, one in the second row over here and one like in the fifth or sixth row over here, got out of their seats and walked forward and gave their lives to Christ right there in the middle of a church service. And it was amazing. God is moving. Things are happening, but it's not happening enough. It's not happening enough. There are still a billion people out there who need to know. And that is why Change the Map was created, because we need to be more intentional at reaching the one million, no, one billion Buddhists for Jesus. There is such spiritual darkness in the Buddhist world. Listen to this. They understand and admit that they are praying to evil spirits. They don't care what kind of spirit it is, if it's good or bad or whatever, as long as it can give them power, as long as it can give them favor, as long as it can give them luck, like luck is a huge thing to them over there. If it can make my situation better, I'll pray to any spirit. I don't care if it's good or bad. They're openly inviting evil spirits into their temples, their cities, their homes, into their lives. And because of that, it is a dark place. Many people who go over there, uh, anywhere in the Buddhist world, they talk about like this heaviness, this darkness, this oppression that they feel while they're there. And there's no doubt in my mind that these demonic presences have power. And this might get a little crazy, and I don't have it all figured out, okay? I don't understand it all, but I know that what they're doing over there, these these Dark spirits are pushing back against the gospel so it's not being heard and believed as much as it should be. And I've always known about spiritual warfare, and I, I've, but I've never been somewhere where it was so real. These evil spirits are real. Darkness is real. The, the spiritual battle that we go through, it's real. Especially when we try to bring Jesus to the Buddhist world. And this is why we're talking about change the map, okay? First and foremost, change the map is a prayer movement. That's what it's all about. It's a prayer movement. It's all about mobilizing prayer partners to push back the darkness and open up the Buddhist people's minds so that they can hear what Jesus wants to say to them. So the question for me that I want to share with you a little bit about is why do we need to pray for this? Why do we need to pray for this? Like if, if God wants to open up the Buddhist world and he wants to do something there, why doesn't he just do it? Why doesn't he take over? He's bigger, he's stronger. There's more to it than that. And this is something that I've learned a little bit about and it's still, like I said, there's still more that I don't understand but, but I, I've seen it and I've read it in the Bible now. God wants to partner with us is one of the biggest things that I've learned. 
He wants to partner with us, and he's, he's just not going to do this on his own. I would love for him to just go in and do it on his own. I don't even completely understand why or how, how all this partnership and authority stuff works, but we see it all over Scripture. God wants us to be part of moving his kingdom forward, okay? Here's Ezekiel chapter 22. Verses 29 through 31, the verses I had, to op- op- had you open to before, here's what it says. The people of the land, now this is the Lord speaking, the people of the land practice extortion and commit robbery. They oppress the poor and the needy and mistreat the foreigner, denying them justice. Verse 30 says, I looked for someone, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of this land so that I would not have to destroy it. But I found no one. So I will pour out my wrath on them and consume them with fiery anger, bringing down on their own heads all they have done, declares the sovereign Lord. Heavy. And here's what the Lord is speaking about this city. He's saying it's vile, it's heartless, it's evil. And then God says, man, I just look for one person to stand in the gap on behalf of this land so that I wouldn't have to destroy it. Like one person to stand there who's maybe righteous, who's praying, but there's nobody. And these verses are heartbreaking for more than one reason, but in them I see God's heart. I see God's heart as I read this. Think through this with me. Okay, God obviously does not want to destroy this land. He's searching, he's searching the entire city for just one person to stand up. He doesn't want it destroyed. And, and then, and then he, he doesn't want to destroy it, but he does it anyway. I don't get it, right? Like, God, you're God. And if you don't want to do something, just don't do it, bro. Right? Like, you're God, Come on. But this shows me how strongly God feels about us being a part of what he's doing. He's like, I need someone to be on my team. I need someone to ask to spare this city. I just just need you guys to want this too. And we see this in other places. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul says, God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. This wording is powerful and crazy. Did you hear that? Like, God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. Wait, it's our job? That's a big job. That's a God-sized job. Why doesn't he do it? We are Christ's ambassadors, it says. We are his representatives to the people of the world. That's a lot of people that we're supposed to represent God to. We speak for Christ, it says. Yikes, that's a big responsibility. I don't know if I want that responsibility. Why doesn't he speak for himself? I don't know why. I don't totally understand it, but I see over and over that he wants to partner with us. And there's there's something more going on here that we don't completely understand in the spiritual realm. It's something that God thinks is important that we just don't get. But that doesn't make it any less important or any less true. God wants to partner with us. Have I said that? I can't remember. I think I have. In 1 Kings 
chapter 18. This isn't going to be on the screen. I'm just going to tell you this part of the story. We see that God has imposed a drought over the land that now has lasted three years. And he tells Elijah, he says, go confront the people. Go confront King Ahab because I'm about to send rain. Okay? You hear that? I'm about to send rain. God has already decided that he's going to send rain. But a little bit later in the chapter, in verse 42, we see Elijah praying for rain. What? Why? Why does Elijah have to pray for rain if God has already said, I'm going to send rain? Again, we see that God wants to partner with us. He wants us to be a part of what he's doing. In Acts chapter 9, Saul, soon to be Paul, is met by God, right, on the road to Damascus. He's blinded, and soon after this, God says to a man named Ananias, he says, Ananias, go pray for Paul because I want to make him see again. God, you want to make him see? Make him see then. Just make him see. Why do I have to go pray for him? Why does this... God wants to partner with us. He wants to be a part of this. He wants to partner with us specifically through prayer. And I think a big reason he wants to partner with us, this is one thing that I've, as I've been praying and asking God why, I've felt this. It's something that we talk about all the time around here. God wants to have a relationship with you, right? He doesn't want to force his will on you. He, he doesn't, uh, he wants you to be on, in on what he's doing. It's not much of a relationship if you're forced to do what he says. He wants you to be a part of it, a relationship. And likewise, when we're in prayer, we should not be trying to impose our will on God, right? We should not be pleading with God to do what we want him to do all the time, okay? Now, that's not bad, but what we should be doing is is we're not trying to change God's mind about something. And we saw from our examples that, that we are to be praying God's will, okay? So we're not trying to change God's mind. We're not trying to impose our will on him, it's okay to pray and say, God, can you heal? God, will you do this? But, but what is God's will for the situation? We need to hear from him what he wants to do and pray to release. We saw that with Ananias. He knew God wanted to heal. We see that with Elijah. He knew God wanted to send rain. So they're praying God's will. John 5, 4, 1 John 5.14 says, If we ask anything according to what? His will. He will hear us. I think about it like this. It's like a a little kid, like a five or six-year-old kid going shopping for um, their parents' Christmas present. What's the first thing you do when you're five or six years old and you want to buy your parents' Christmas present? Hey, mom, dad, what do you want? Right, you ask them, what do you want? And then they they tell you as a little five-year-old, and then what's the next thing you have to do? Okay, cool, can you drive me to the store so that you can buy it for you? (laughs) Right? Like, you don't do anything as a five or six-year-old. You simply ask, what do you want? Okay, can, now can you go do this? And this is what our relationship with God is supposed to be like. God, what's your will in this situation? Okay, now can you go do it? It's a sweet gig. We really don't have a whole lot to do. Pray. God, what's your will? God, go do it. And I know that we can get into the routine of just like, Praying, God, I want your will in this situation. And that's probably not bad. 
right? I don't think God's going to ignore you because you don't pray his specific will. But I'll tell you what, there's something powerful about taking the time to pray and say, God, what do you want in this situation? And hearing from him. And if you do hear from him, praying that will specifically, man, that, that's powerful. That's powerful. And again, I don't understand exactly how it works, but God wants us to pray. Prayer works. God has chosen to work through the prayers of his people. Could he do it without our prayers? Probably. But many times he just chooses not to. So really quick, here's what I want you to hear. I want to give you three reasons that we need to pray. Okay? Number one, God wants to partner with us. I think I've already beat that one to death. But the second part of that I want you to hear. God wants to partner with us, so he has given us authority. Look at Luke 9, Luke 10, and Mark 16. That's what we're going to look at for just a second here. In Luke 9, 1, here we read that Jesus sends out his 12 disciples to go minister to the people around him. Okay, He sends out the 12. But before they go, Jesus gives them authority. Authority to cast out demons and heal diseases. Okay? That's what happens in Luke 9. Well, that's just, that's just authority to the 12, right? That's just authority to the 12. Okay, well, let's look at Luke 10. Luke 10 shows Jesus giving authority to the 72 of his followers. He sends them out in pairs, and he gives them uh, authority to, over the enemy, is what it says, and to not get hurt. He gives them authority in that way. Well, that's the 72. That's not us, right? Well, let's look at Mark 16. Verses 16 through 18 say, listen, Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. Now check this out, verse 17. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons. I think we just heard that a little bit ago. They will speak in new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety, not get hurt. And if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed. Those things mentioned there are the same exact things that Jesus gave authority to the 12 and to the 72. Jesus has given each of us authority if we are his followers. He wants to partner with us to move his kingdom forward. You have the authority if you pray his will in his name. That's a cool thing. We have God's authority to call things out. When we hear from him, God says, I want this to happen. And you can pray it. Number two, and worship team, you can come at this time. Number two, we need to pray to push back the darkness. I talked about this a little bit before. There's, there's spiritual darkness in the Buddhist world because they're praying to all these spirits to come into their lives. They're inviting this darkness into their lives. And we need to pray that God would do the same thing in this situation that he did for Daniel back in, chapter, in Daniel chapter 10. I want you to look at this really quick. Okay, Daniel chapter 10, verses 12 through 14. Then he said, this is an angel, Daniel, don't be afraid. Since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before God, your re- request has been heard in heaven. Since the first day you started praying, your request, request was heard. I can't say that word. Request has been heard. I have come in answer to your prayer. But for 21 days you prayed. For 21 days the spirit, print, the, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. 
Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now I am here to explain what will happen to your people in the future, for this vision concerns a time yet to come. Listen, Daniel has this vision. He doesn't know what it means. He prays, God, tell me what this vision means. I want to know what you're trying to tell me. And he prays and fasts for 21 days. And on the very first day, God hears his prayer, and he sends this angel, but he's intercepted by this kingdom, this spirit prince of Persia and he can't get to Daniel. And he's there for 21 days fighting this spirit prince of Persia, and then finally, I don't know, Daniel's prayers like break through, and the archangel Michael comes, and he says, hey, I got this, you go. And the other angel is able to go to Daniel and share what this vision means. It's amazing stuff. It's real. There is darkness in the Buddhist world, and we need to fight against it. We need to pray. In fact, God, right now, we pray against the darkness. We pray so that you can send your message through to these people that you love so dearly. Number three, we need to pray for a spiritual discontent. And this is something that the missionary we were with over and over and over, he said this. One of the things uh, that we have to pray for all the time is for the Buddhist people to feel discontent with their religion, with where they're at. Like they're missing something. There's something more out there so that they will be open to hear. God, again, as Buddhist people are praying at the temple or they're meditating to find enlightenment, God, we pray that they would feel that something just isn't right. Like there is something more. And God, I pray in the name of Jesus that they would search and that they would find the truth. Now I'm hoping that this partnering with God and prayer stuff and all the authority that, you know, that maybe you're learning about that we have, I hope it helps you in your normal prayer life for sure. Um, but the question is, what does this look like practically for praying for the Buddhist world? Well, that's what Change the Map is all about. It has, Change the Map has a plan for this. They have a goal of having 50,000 people sign up to become prayer partners that will commit to praying every week. It's like three minutes on Monday they want you to pray. They have, they have created a place for people to sign up to become one of those prayer partners. And with signing up, you'll get weekly emails with the prayer points. You'll even have, it'll point you to a podcast. And this, this girl on the podcast actually prays and you pray along with her. And you can become part of that prayer group um, that is specific to our church people. And here's how you do it. So you take the change the map, little bookmark thing, or scan the QR code up here, and you, uh, the change the map bookmarks, I think are in the seat back in front of you, actually, I know they are. Or you can go to changethemap.net, then you click join once you get there, okay? Click join, then you put your name and your email in, and uh, you'll start getting those emails. And then once you join and you go to changethemap.net, on the left-hand side, there will be a menu with a whole bunch of options. And there's a spot that says, I gotta find it, uh, pray with a group or church, okay? Pray with a group or church. Click on that. Click on pray with a group or church, and then you'll find River of Life Church. Here's the cool thing. Um, Mark told me last week that we are the first active church group praying for Change the Map. That's how new this is. So we get to be a part of right from the beginning. And years from now, when the Buddhist world starts to be reached, we can 
we can know that we had a part to play in this. So find River of Life Church, request access to our group, and that way we can do this together. But listen, I don't want you to just sign up to sign up and be like, oh, I better sign up, otherwise pastors are gonna be mad at me, so I'm just gonna put my name in there. It doesn't really matter if I ever pray, okay? No, if you're signing up, I want you to pray, okay? And I'm not saying don't sign up. I'm saying sign up and pray, like do this. We want people who believes God will, God's will is to reach these billion people, and we want those people to be praying and asking God to move forward. Prayer works, God wants us to pray, he wants to partner, he's given us authority. So let's do that. You can do that now, you can do that after service, bring that card with you, you can have that bookmark, take it home, uh, sign up and pray for that. I wanna just pray one more time before we go, so would you please join me? God, we pray right now that first of all, you would move our hearts. God, we don't have to have this crazy, crazy burden for specifically the Buddhist world maybe, but God, we know that you wanna reach them. And so God, we wanna be praying. I pray that you give us that heart, a heart that cares about lost people enough to take three minutes a week to pray for them. So God, move. I pray, do something miraculous. I pray you push back the darkness that is just being invited into those homes, those cities, those temples, into people's hearts and people's lives. God, I pray you push that back so that your message can get through. God, I pray for discontent and I pray that people would just get to the point where they're like, man, there's something more. And God, once they get to that point, I pray that you send dreams. I pray that you send visions to these people that they would have a dream, they would hear something in their mind that that's this Jesus or somebody died on the cross for me. And then God, you send a missionary, you send a fellow Thai Christian or a Cambodian Christian or whatever. And they come and they say, hey, I, didn't you talk about somebody named Jesus? Tell me about this. And God, they're open. Like move God, do something. I know you're a God of order. I know you're also a God of miracles. And we pray that you show up and do the supernatural. So do it. Do it, God, we pray in your name. Now, before you go, we're gonna do one more thing and I'm gonna ask the ushers to get ready here. We're gonna, we're gonna take one more offering. We took one last week, we're taking one this week, we're gonna take one next week for this idea of change the map. Again, first and foremost, pray. Pray, pray, pray. But change the map, we can also give to them. Um, one of the things that I know they're doing right now is this church that I went to, it was packed, you saw it. They're buying property. Change the Map wants to help them buy property and build, the, build a new church to reach more people. Like it's happening. Uh, they need things to be able to have uh, literature to hand to people, all these different things. They need equipment, they need all this stuff. So when we give, we're helping Change the Map reach these billion people. Uh, and if we've just been simply asking you, what is it? What does it look like for you? What does God want you to do? I don't want to guilt you. I don't want to push you. We just simply ask, what does God want you to do? What does God want you to give? And so at this time, the ushers can come forward. They're going to pass the buckets. You can give one more time here. And then uh, I just, I just believe in this, okay? I'll tell you this, about Let's see, almost a year ago, when I was at an event in March, last March, last April, Mark, uh, the missionary, got up and he spoke about this idea. And I signed up for the Change the Map 
emails that day. And that was, so that was in April. And I started getting the emails. And then in November, I went on this trip. And as I was sitting there with the guy who started this Change the Map stuff, I just said, hey, Mark, um, I gotta confess something to you. I've been getting those emails for the last seven months and I think I've prayed twice. And he's like, oh, and I said, but you know what? I'm not gonna miss a week now. And I guarantee you I'm gonna pray more than once a week. Being there has changed the way I see this. Being there has given me a heart and I wish I could just take my passion and just download into each one of you. And I've tried to do that a little bit here, but I would even challenge you to go home and do some research. Check out changethemap.net, go to the Joshua Project and look up the different Cambodian uh, countries of Japan, China, uh, Cambodia, Laos, Thailand. I know there's more, I can't think of them all, but uh, just start looking up their information. There's so many lost people, there's so many hurting people and we can do something. So God, I pray one more time that even what we gave right now would do something amazing. God, that change the map would do just that. That it would change the map, that it wouldn't just be one billion Buddhist people anymore, but it would be people who are hearing about you and have an opportunity to make a decision, God. And so even through us, God, use us through our prayers, through our giving to do something amazing in that area of the world. We thank you again and we pray it in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen.